0: At the time of this podcast recording, August 27th, 2022, there have already been 441 mass shootings in the U.S. According to the Gun Violence Archive, we are averaging over 13 mass shootings a week. A mass shooting is defined as an event where four or more victims are shot and either injured or killed. Mass shootings are occurring so frequently in our country, they don't even make national headlines or even the evening news. In this episode of the Latino Business Report, we have a candid conversation with renowned security and school safety expert, Mike Matranga. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode of the Latino Business Report. Today, we're going to be talking about mass shootings, particularly in schools. Today with us, we have Michael Matranga, owner of M6 Global. Michael is definitely an expert in this field. Michael, how are you doing today?
1: doing very well thanks for having me Jr
0: no thank you for being here Michael I just introduced you as an expert in this field give us a little bit about your background Tell us about M6 Global and how you actually became an expert so, I am
1: a Texas kid grew up along the Texas Gulf Coast and uh, went to Sam Houston State University where I achieved uh, you know my bachelor's degree and in criminal justice went on to work for Galveston County adult probation where I learned the basis of understanding human behavior supervising felons and misdemeanor caseload uh, w- then went on to the United States Secret Service uh, out of the Houston field office where i worked through multiple different uh, divisions and from there was assigned in 2007 to the obama campaign detail uh, for that 18 month campaign came back to the United States Secret Service in Houston and worked protective intelligence cases and then in 2011, went on to uh, join the United States Secret Service Presidential Counter Assault Team as a counter assault team operator under our Special Operations Division, and served on that team for approximately five and a half years before moving on to the presidential detail. And it was after my time spent on the presidential detail, I went to a different agency out in Las Vegas, Nevada, the Department of Interior, and oversaw the security detail for the infamous Bundy Ranch trial uh, where ranchers took up arms against the United States government in 2014. And shortly after that, uh, in 2018, after the unfortunate Santa Fe high school shooting, I was called back home to my home county to Texas City ISD by Dr. Rodney Kavnis, who Had the forethought to understand that he was not a security professional, but rather he was a superintendent and he had been, you know, educating kids for 30 years. He did not have any expertise in this field of how to keep people safe. And so, you know, I was given the opportunity to come back to Texas city and build, you know, what ended up being (laughs) ranked number, the number one school security program in the state, the number five in the nation. And since then, uh, we've helped countless of districts throughout the state. And we're now branching out into, you know, the, you know all 50 states uh, providing a very proactive approach to school safety and security, instead of just thinking that, you know, law enforcement is the, the only and final solution, uh, as we've seen through you know, multiple events here recently to include Uvalde with 376 officers there, they didn't stop anything. And uh, I'm not discrediting them. We absolutely love our brothers and sisters in blue and we need them. But this is all going to stop if we as a society get better at understanding human behavior and uh, have the courage to intervene. And so this is a collective effort between, you know, students, teachers, parents, community. Uh, we've all got to put our, our, our foot forward uh, to include law enforcement, and work together to resolve this
0: well okay thank you for that definitely and once again it is an honor to have you on on this podcast you definitely uh, are extensively experienced and i also know that um, you've been on cnn you've been on fox news you and here lately you've been on a multitude about 60 70 networks and just people are always calling you um, to come on and be that expert but mike are they also calling you to ask you what to do and if They're asking me what to do. Why the heck aren't they doing it?
1: Well, um, you know, I think that uh, the biggest issue and the biggest grievance that I have are the politicians that call after every event and they ask me for my advice because they identify me as a subject matter expert.
0: So when you say every event, you're talking about every shooting.
1: Every shooting. It seems like I'm always getting called, you know, after Santa Fe, June the 11th of 2018 not even a month after Santa Fe, Santa Fe's mass shooting, I was called in to testify before the Senate. And that was actually my first day on the job at Texas city ISD. And, and, um, I, I, if you know anything about me, I'm not one to pull my punches. I just tell you what I think. Um, you shouldn't ask me what my opinion is and then get offended if it doesn't agree with your philosophy. So I went into that Senate hearing, with the complete understanding that I was going to say what needed to be said, because I felt like everyone over the last two decades has been dancing around the issues. And I just refused to be that person because we have too much at risk and too much at stake. And so, you know, I went into that hearing with the idea that I was just going to say what needed to be said, and either they were going to like it or they weren't going to like it. And they would either call me back or they wouldn't call me back. And so fortunately for me, they have called me back. It seems like after every event, and I appreciate that. And I want to continue to con- to contribute to that narrative. And um, I will tell you, though, it's, it's becoming uh, increasingly frustrating that it seems like after every event, uh, I continue to get called back and I continue to get asked the same questions uh, and I have the same answers. And uh, it just does not appear that our- So you're, legislature- giving,
0: the, they're give, you're giving the answers, but nobody's acting on it and nobody's well, taking your advice.
1: I think they think they're acting on it, um, but, you know, some of the things that I say may not align politically with some of their ideologies. Uh, you know, for example, one of the things that um, I'm pretty adamant about is that, you know, some <clears throat> in the Republican Party- Are very hell-bent on, you know, arming teachers. And though I agree in some scenarios, like in, you know, far West Texas, where police response is absolutely, uh, you know, way out of anything reasonable. It's, you know, 20, 25 plus minutes. You have to arm people on that uh, campus in order to preserve life. I don't think that we should just uh, carte Blanche start handing out weapons to teachers uh, without any forethought into why they would need it, and and so um, you know that's one of the issues that always seems to come up is that well, some like, within the Republican Party want to arm teachers at will, and I just don't think that we need to do that. I just don't think that's their job.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Mike. I mean, God knows teachers have a, a hard enough time, but to actually, you know, here's a handgun or here's a weapon, you know, to defend your class along with your Elmer's glue and glitter and paint and construction paper. You know, here's a nine mil. T- to me, that makes no sense. I mean, I understand arming people. I understand protection. But look at Uvalde. I mean, you had how many cops showed up and, you know, they were armed, but yet there was not a breach. There was a, a breakdown of communication, whatever the heck happened there. I don't know. We may never know. But at the same time, to me, arming teachers does not seem like the solution. I can see. I mean, just the train. Isn't it true that a lot of people that are killed by handguns or at least it used to be they killed by their own guns because they really don't know how to use them. And, and they're either taken away from them or they end up shooting themselves or something. I mean, is that the answer? Arming teachers? I, I think
1: that it is, should be uh, case by case. Uh, you know, I just spent the last eight days out near El Paso, Texas uh, in that, you know, venture out West. Uh, I took it upon myself to stop in multiple small towns And I asked uh, some of the law enforcement or individuals that uh, we encountered, how long is police response? You know, we stopped in Alpine, Texas and stayed at a place called The Summit. It's not a shameless dig, but it's a beautiful place. Um, And I asked the owner, you know, you've got this beautiful site. How long would it take police to respond here? His response was an hour and a half. So imagine putting a school in that area. You have to arm teachers at that point. Uh, and I certainly understand that. But what I'm getting at is that the the programs that we have in place, like the marshals or the guardians program, I'm not anti marshal or anti-guardian or anti-arming teachers. It just needs to be very well thought out. And there has to be a nice and a very good articulation of why they would need it, such as, you know, like in Alpine, Texas, or, you know, maybe even uh, some of these other smaller towns between there and El Paso. It has to make sense. You know, for example, I'm a school board member at Texas City ISD. We have 16 deputies. Um, I believe that we will be talking about this in the coming months um, about arming teachers. And I just see no reason why we would need to do that. We have 16 armed officers. We have multiple jurisdictions who've all been read into our plan. And it's and it's been coordinated and who's doing what. So, you know, I I won't say it shouldn't. Occur. I just think that it should
0: be very well thought out, and there needs to be a solid and maybe, articulation and maybe an option for that. An option. I mean, I mean you bring up a good point. I mean, having the school police or marshals or uh, school district police, whatever the case. Yes, I can see that. I can see them having a presence on campus. I can see them armed. I can see metal detectors. I can see preventative measures like that to to mitigate the situation. But arming teachers. I mean, first of all, wouldn't a teacher have to want to do it? I mean, I'd hate to say. I'd hate to think that, you know, school districts can go, OK, uh, Miss Johnson, uh, second grade here. You know, here's your pack. Here's your curriculum. Here's, here's your nine millimeter. Here's your nine millimeter. You know, here's an extra clip. And, yeah. uh, you know, learn to use it before the school starts. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't even like guns. Mike. The, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm just just for I'm a gun owner. I got guns in almost every room in my house. I got them mm-hmm. in the car. I carry. I mean, I'm a gun owner. I've, I've been around guns all my life, as, as you have. I'm not opposed to to um, gun ownership. I'm not opposed to people having having the constitutional right to carry. What I'm opposed to is some of these people that are mentally disturbed and just resistance of having a good background check on people before they start uh, allowing them to purchase or carry guns. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you. Um, here's the thing: teachers are not warriors. They're not warriors.
0: They're teachers.
1: You know, they're teachers, and even some warriors and some men and women who wear the shield are not warriors. And if you don't believe me, look at the video from Yavalde. 376 officers, 21 deceased inside that room. No one even breached the door until it was 77 minutes later. And, you know, I will just say that I just, its it's a very... A uh, very unique situation and instance that these people are put in. Um, and those that have even took an oath to, pro- to, to protect and, and to serve, uh, when I see that even some of them are apprehensive, putting a weapon in the hand of a teacher tells me that the majority of them are not equipped and qualified to pull the trigger on a child in which they may have a psychological or some type of, um, you know, relationship with, uh, there's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of, I don't even know what to say, but there's yeah. a tremendous amount of, I don't even know, man. It's, it. it you, you have to really understand what you're getting yourself into. And I think that in theory, a lot of people think that it's easy and you know, putting the weapon, putting a weapon in the hands of a teacher and asking them to to pull the trigger on a kid that they formed a bond with is is hard.
0: And even I see your point, point, especially if that teacher knows that's if it's a student that they know and have interacted with and bonded with. But whether they know the person or not, whether it be a teacher, whether it be a law enforcement, a trained professional, taking somebody's life, I mean, that's that can be traumatic. I mean, that is a big step to be able to aim your weapon. Focus in and pull that trigger, knowing as soon as you pull that trigger, you're going to snuff. You can, you know you can kill somebody. That yeah. No matter how much training you have, I mean, are you really? Act, is anybody actually really prepared to take somebody's life at a possibly with a yeah. split second decision? Yeah, I think there
1: are those of us that are those are the, those of us that have trained our entire life for that moment. You know, here's know the deal. what to do.
0: I mean, it's almost muscle memory. You know, let's just it's, do it's, it
1: it takes a substantial amount of training and psychological preparation in order to get yourself to that point. You know, for example, me, listen, I don't want to hurt anybody, but if you're hurting people, if you're actively, you know, murdering young children, I have no problem ending your life and then going home, eating a sandwich and taking a nap. I would never think about it after that, you know, but some of these individuals are not built the same way. Exactly,
0: And you said it yourself. I mean, you wouldn't have any problem doing it. I would like to think I wouldn't, but I don't know. I haven't been in that situation. But at the same time, you said years of training, psychological preparation. Teachers don't have that. No, a lot of people don't. I mean, so just to me, passing out guns, and that's my opinion, and, and everybody has their Passing out guns to teachers is not the answer. Now, now let me. Some,
1: Let me, let me intervene real quick and I'll, I'll give you the perfect example. And unfortunately it ended in the, in the life of a very beautiful person at Texas city ISD last year, we had a phenomenal principal that was here at this, at our district who was, she was the life of the school, beautiful young lady, bright future ahead. And unfortunately had two young children was going through a, a divorce. Husband was unbeknownst to all of us physically uh, aggressive. I believe, uh, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I believe that was probably part of the reason why she was getting a divorce. And, um, she chose to arm herself, uh, during this time. And she, the day that she was moving out of her home with her two young children in the back seat, um, her husband showed up to the house And became physically violent with her. She pulled out her weapon that she was legally uh, uh, required or legally uh, authorized to own. And he took it from her and killed her right there in the front yard. In front of her children? In front of her children and then went inside and killed himself. And so, you know, listen, like I said, teachers are not warriors, You know, the Marshall's program requires an 80-hour intro and then a 16-hour follow-up. That's not enough. I have a 17-year-old daughter who's a varsity cheerleader who's had more training on how to hold a child up in the air to perform a stunt than we're requiring teachers to have uh, with time behind a trigger. So, you know, I would, like I said, it's not that I'm anti- arming teachers, it just has to be the right setting. It has to be the right reason. Um, There has to be good articulation and the required amount of training is just not enough, you know? So I would like to see the hours substantially upgraded.
0: Now you made a, you, you made a good point in a rural area where it's going to take cops an hour. Maybe not every teacher, but if they don't have the budget, if they don't have school cops or marshals, um, Maybe a handful of those teachers, you know, two or three or four of them that are trained and give them additional pay, give them whatever, at least to be prepared. But, okay, I think we're kind of kind of on the same page on that. Let's let's Mm -hmm. move on to a little bit. And and Mike, we were talking before the show and it just I cannot fathom my mind cannot get around why somebody would want to go out just mass shooting to begin with doesn't make any sense to me, but go out into a school and knowingly kill Innocent children, that makes no sense. I mean, why? Do you, do you have a, a, an answer to that? Uh, you know, I can't answer. I think each one
1: of them have their own reasons why. But what I will tell you is very consistent in each one of them is that there are patterns of behavior in these individuals that are known to their family, their friends, you know, their teachers, their community, and people just simply dismiss them. And they think, okay, yeah, this kid's got this problem or this person has this problem. Uh, they're going to be okay or they're crazy. Stay away from them. But no one has the courage to really intervene. I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at uh, the kid out in Parkland, you know, he had had the cops called him 30 times. This is kind of an unusual circumstance where you see there was a tremendous amount of reporting on this kid, uh, but our laws prevented him from being institutionalized or, uh, you know, someone intervening.
0: Because a lot of these people are actually, I mean, they're putting out a cry for help. I mean, if you, if you, like you say, if you watch them, if you, you see their characteristics and some of their stuff, they're, they're almost asking for help. They don't get it. And is this the last resort resort for them? Yeah, I do. I think
1: it is. Um, you know, the National Threat Assessment Center uh, at the Secret Service talks about, um, these things and there's this evolution of behavior and these patterns of behavior. And, you know, I I will tell you that I have become increasingly frustrated with this, um, ideology or this narrative by, uh, even law enforcement, but, but our political, um, you know, cast of characters, uh, some of them very good. Others need to reconsider their profession that law enforcement is going to save the day. And that is could not be further from the truth. Well, and you so- have—I
0: don't mean to interrupt. You have that law enforcement will save the day, but yet you have a large group of people who are going defund the police, defund the police. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, what what do people want? You can't defund the police and expect them to be there when there's a tragedy, and at the same time, you can't just arm everybody. Well, you could, but it's wild, wild west. I'm just—I'm just kind of pointing out the 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 imbalance or the 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 forces working against each other. To try to come up with a solution to this thing.
1: Yeah, well, I think that these people that are calling for defund the police, uh, let's, let's let something tragic happen at their home, and then let them call the police, and they don't show up, and I think they'll reconsider. So, you oh, know, they'll, they'll call
0: it, They'll call a social worker.
1: Yeah, anybody that's <laughs> that's pushing that narrative is is just absolutely. You know, they have other motivations, whether it be political or personal or whatever it is that they they really need to have their head examined. You know, calling for the defunding of police, you can see even in some states like California that removed officers uh, from school districts uh, a year ago are now hiring them back. It's like, oh, I think we absolutely need them, you know, and it's just yeah, Yeah. it's just this. it was the popular thing to do that fit their political narrative and uh, that didn't work out too well for them. And so now they've had to come back down to reality. And so, you know, I, I'm just becoming increasingly frustrated that since 1999, after the Columbine shooting, the national threat assessment center, and even other experts in the field have said, you know, listen, yes, police are absolutely crucial in this. We have to have them. They have to understand the plan. They, they need to react within a certain period of time. Everyone needs to be on the same page. It's got to be a coordinated uh, response rather than just everybody showing up with their hair on fire, like in Uvalde, like in Santa Fe, like in Parkland. But there was no coordinated response. But more importantly than that response is that we should be working to try to not have them respond in the first place. And how does that happen? It happens by, by students, parents, community members, all being consciously aware of when someone is on that path to violence through the patterns of their behavior, which we've all seen and which we all want to talk about after the fact, but yet we're not intervening. We don't have the community resources to intervene in those things. And, you know, look at mental health in the United States. You know, after Reagan, look at some of these institutions that have been shut down. They don't exist here in here in the southern part of of Texas, where we're at um, Galveston County. Unless you have insurance in Galveston County, you cannot be institutionalized at University of Texas Medical Branch. Law enforcement has to transport you all the way to the north side of Houston to be institutionalized, if you're trying to hurt yourself or others, we need these facilities throughout the state okay. of Texas wait, and throughout wait, 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 the nation.
0: Wait a minute. Back up. Back up. So if you have some mental issues and you need to be institutionalized in some parts of the state, at least here in Texas, you can't be institutionalized unless you have the insurance to cover it. Correct. Is that what I heard you? Oh, my. Yeah. God, so, what is so going on out there?
1: I had, a, I had a friend over here at the house yesterday. Uh, who was former secret service that is now working for the sheriff's department. We were talking about the need for mental health institutions throughout the state. And, you know, you look at, you know, some of our state political leaders, they continue to keep cutting mental health resources, you know, and, and and I don't want to say that, you know, Mental health, the term gets thrown out there, very broad. Mental health, We have mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Listen, sometimes it's not mental health. We just have emotional health problems,
0: right? Oh, and how do you define mental health? I mean, there's, I, mean yeah. I, I look at Congress and the Senate, you know, there's mental issues right there, in my opinion. Listen, if I'll you, tell if-
1: you myself, I, my father passed away in 2019. I'll be the first one. To, I am not afraid to admit this. Uh, My dad was my best friend. I trusted him with everything that I had. He molded me into the man that I am today. And I'm forever grateful. He died unexpectedly and I was lost, man. And I went through a depressive state. I was very depressed. And I too sought mental health resources, but I had insurance. What about those individuals who are on maybe some self-destructive path or God forbid on a path to hurt other people because of the traumatic incidents that have happened in their life. They don't, and they don't have insurance like I did. And let's say they don't have a vehicle or a means to get to the North side of Houston to seek that mental health treatment. Why, why is our state legislature continuing to cut those resources?
0: Makes no sense, especially with the, with the increase of mass shootings and where the answer is, well, they're mentally disturbed. Well, then why aren't you putting more money into that?
1: Well, the you have whole,
0: to, go ahead, you, go ahead. you have
1: to look at why they're mentally disturbed. Some of it is related to the lifestyle.
0: Get down to the cause. living.
1: Okay. Yeah, let's get down to the cause. I mean, low socioeconomic status. They have no reason to live anymore. They're living a terrible, shitty life. They have no support. Where are the resources that we have. I mean, we're talking about spending three plus billion dollars a year in building a damn border wall when we know that's not going to prevent people from coming into the United States. So let's do this. Let's let's serve the people who live here who would support that three billion dollars through our tax base. Let's give them the resources that they need so that they don't hurt themselves or others. Let's use some of that funding but I right. guess that makes too much sense, you know.
0: I have learned a long time ago, Mike, that common sense is not that common. No, it's not. Now, I don't pretend to know about this, and it's, maybe you do, and maybe it's a subject for somebody smarter than both of us. But if a person is that depressed, if they're that disenfranchised, if they want to take their own life, why in the heck do they have to feel like it's necessary to take a bunch of people with them? I mean, is that a need for for attention? For I mean, what is it? I mean, suicide by police is... If you're going to do it, do it privately to yourself. I mean, don't take other people with you. Innocent. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I really can't answer that question. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's the simple answer is I don't know why they feel the need to take other people with them uh, unless it's to, um, you know, bring some type of martyrdom uh, to them and, and to be in death what they were never in life. And that's somebody. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, I'm not a psychologist. Um, I do understand, I think, human behavior more than the average uh, person, uh, which is why I think I've been successful in what I'm doing. The Secret Service taught us well. You know, we we pay attention to human behavior. We pay attention to uh, patterns of behavior. I always tell people this all the time. Stop listening to people's words and start paying attention to their behaviors. They may be able to fool you for a while, But if you continue to watch them and not listen, you will see that they will always resort back to what their initial intent is. And that's where we have to get in schools and our community is if we have somebody who's on this path of violence that perhaps has exhibited signs and symptoms of pre-attack behavior, watch them. And it's not meant to be putative. Uh, We have to watch them for their well-being and for the well-being of others.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, Showing my age a little bit here, I actually remember 1966, Austin, Texas, University of Texas Tower. uh, What was the guy's name? Whitman? Walt Uh, Whitman. Well, that was up there. And that was like, what I'm seeing is like one of the first mass shootings in this country that occurred. And that was just horrific. I mean, that is just, I mean, the world stopped to watch that. But now it seems like you have mass shootings every other day and have people just become numb to it. Where before a mass shooting, you know, people would stop. They would watch, they would listen to the churches, they would pray, they would, a community would come together, you know, around that. But now it is such a common occurrence. Has the public become numb to the fact that people are dying on a regular basis and mass shootings that can totally have been prevented or totally unnecessary?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that the people have become numb. I think that we have become accustomed to the fact that, that this is just going to continue to happen. And I've, I've said it myself that this is not going to stop. It's not going to stop until we, and I say we, all of us, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, biracial, gay, straight, whatever, all of us come together, set aside our BS politics, and just start living for each other. That is when it's going to stop. And you know what? Even then, it's not going to stop completely. um, Because here's the thing. I'm a realist. There's absolutely no way that I will ever tell you that we're going to stop everything. But what we can do is unify together and we can mitigate and reduce the risk by being consciously aware and working together in unison, which is what is just so uncommon these days because we've let politics divide us in multiple different spectrums. And you know what? We've got to start working together. You know, um, it has to happen. You're and right. Those, those of us that continue to divide us through politics, we've got to
0: get their asses out of office. I agree with you. We need to work together. But to your other point, our leadership, as you said, you have, I mean, I am all for the Constitution and I'm all for the constitutional right to carry. But you know what? Back when the Constitution was written, they were using muskets and muzzle loaders. There wasn't mass shootings because by the time they were reloading, everybody could run away. I mean with these a with with the a r fifteens or the semi automatics or they put a bump on them I mean a lot of death can occur very very quickly, so you have on one side of the political spectrum, you know I don't care who you are if you're eighteen years old, you can't drink but dog, by by golly you can go out and buy a gun then on the other end, you have one group that goes, we need to take everybody's guns i mean i don't i don't i find myself torn between the two major parties not- a, agreeing with some on some things but mostly disagreeing with each of them when it comes to this subject. I mean, that is, that is not the answer. Taking away people's guns ain't going to happen. Giving everybody a gun and going to carry it, no matter whether you have training, if you have mental illness, just this is America, you can carry a gun. You know, that is insane. I mean, people need some sort of restrictions. They need some guidelines. To drive a car, you need to get a driver's license and training. But to, to go out and buy and carry a gun, you don't need anything. Right. Yeah.
1: um, It's a touchy subject. I mean, I'm um, I'm a staunch advocate of the Second Amendment, but I also am a realist. You know, this is the problem that I have is that, again, we have politicians that are using the Second Amendment, Second Amendment as talking points to garner more votes. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm a Second Amendment advocate. I don't think anybody has the right to come and take my weapons from me and my home. Uh, I'm a responsible gun owner. I hunt. I'm an avid hunter. And here's the thing. Do I think that an 18-year-old should have the ability to purchase an AR-15? Absolutely not. And to Thank some you. of my people on the right, they'll argue, well, it's their constitutional right. I agree. So let me give you a scenario and ask you a couple questions. Let's give you a scenario. Kid walks into a convenience sort of purchase a tall boy beer, and he's 18. He can't buy it. Why? Underage. He's underage. Some would argue that it clouds his judgment, whatnot.
0: He's not mentally mature enough to handle it.
1: Right. A beer. He walks across the street to the gun store, and he looks in the cabinet, and he sees a Glock 19, and he says, hey, I'd like to purchase that Glock 19. Why can't he buy it? Cause he's underage and the law says that he can't because he's not mentally prepared to handle a handgun. But he looks over to his left and he sees an AR 15 and he says, you know what? I want to buy that AR 15 with a thousand rounds of ammunition and multiple magazines. Sure. No problem. Let me package that up for you. Why? I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. And so those of us that are second amendment advocates who are responsible gun owners, I have no problem saying that an 18-year-old can't purchase a long gun until they're 21. No problem at all. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect them. And then the argument from some of those on the political right will say is, that well, they can go to war at 18 years old and carry that same gun. You're right, yes, but they have been they're under trained. the supervision they're of trained. the United States military. And they are, they are very well trained in that You know, the operations and the effectiveness of that rifle. So that's not a point to argue. And here's the other thing they're not going home with that weapon every day. They check that weapon out of the armory, they utilize it for their job, and then they check it back into the armory on a daily basis. So don't give me that BS that they're 18, they can go to war because it's not the same. You're trying to make it an argument, a valid argument, and there is no valid argument. A tw- an 18-year-old kid has no business purchasing an AR-15. That's the bottom line.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. I'm sure there's going to be the folks that disagree, but you know what? This is America, and we're all entitled to our opinions. Let's do this. Um, change it, Not changing subjects a little bit, but it's unfortunate, whether it be a school, whether you be at the mall, whether you be at the concert, at a nightclub, there's mass shootings pop up anywhere, and even in church, for God's sake. even in church, there's shootings. I just like I said, I just cannot get my mind around that, but what can people do to help protect themselves, short of carrying a gun? Uh, what, what can they do, or when if there is a mass shooter, or if you find your God forbid, but you find yourself in a situation where one is in, in close proximity? What do you do? How do you protect yourself? What, what are steps a person should take?
1: I get asked this question all the time, and I love this question. Here's, here's the real truth. There's not a lot that we're going to do to be able to stop this until we all unite and learn how to identify these signs, symptoms, and um, you know, patterns of behavior, of, of pre-attack uh, uh, behaviors. Until we get all on the same page and can identify those things and until we have resources to mitigate those things, like uh, more institutions to help or more uh, resources like, um, you know, social emotional learning, emotional intelligence programs in our schools, which some on the far right will argue that that has some type of affiliated or affiliation with critical race theory. Um, I don't know why the hell they continue to push that narrative, but it absolutely has nothing to do with that. What I will tell you, and I will continue to say, is that because we cannot immediately stop it with the resources and the current political climate we have, it is important to talk about self-sustainability. It's important to talk about how to prepare yourself, right? How to prepare your family, taking a class and stop the bleed, taking a class in chest seal application, taking a situational awareness class is 100% key. We talk about um, teachers. You know, I made a video this past week and I told teachers, listen, do not wait on someone to come save you. And the same thing applies to the American citizen. When you're in public. Have your head on a swivel don't be don't be manic. I'm not saying let's walk around in a manic state, but just be situationally aware. Keep your head up, keep your head out of your phone um, be cognizant of where the entry and exits are. position yourself in a place where you can have a fast ingress or egress. Look for things um, that you can hide behind. Know the difference between cover and concealment. You know, cover doesn't stop bullets. It just hides you. Uh, I'm sorry. Concealment doesn't stop bullets. It just uh, hides you. Cover stops bullets um, and allows you to seek refuge for a moment of time before moving to another area. So we have to get better as a society at at preparing ourselves and not solely putting the onus on law enforcement to save us. And so.
0: But to do that, to to your point, you need to be aware.
1: Yes. I mean, people
0: need to be aware of their surroundings, aware of the, the potential danger in a situation. I mean, we don't want people to go around paranoid or scared of living their lives. But at the same time, if you were, if you choose to go to this concert, if you choose to go to the mall to, if you choose to go do this, just be aware of exits and what's happening and be looking for that, I mean, it's, it's terrible to have to live a life. that would be looking for that cover if necessary. A
1: hundred percent. I mean, you know, I talk about this all the time with my kids. They're, they're getting they're getting a little older now. My oldest will be 18 and my youngest is 16. And, you know, now they're going out on their own with their friends and doing stuff. And And I've been teaching my kids, you know, for a long time. They're not walking around in a manic state, but they're more situationally aware than most kids because of me, you know. Right. And I tell them, hey, if you're going to a concert, you know, try to stay back a little bit from the crowd. Don't always get in the middle. You know, look for the exits on both sides. Your left, your right, your rear. Try to find the the closest security officer or the closest uh, police officer. Know where they're at. Just be situationally aware. That's it. Uh, and that's what's going to help us, right? Um, I always talk about, um, you know, Boyd uh, Boyd's uh, military terminology uh, or philosophy of the OODA loop. Have you ever heard of the OODA loop? have not. So O O D a loop OODA loop. And it stands for, it's an acronym for observe, orient, decide, and act. And so we, you know, people have different methodologies. I like OODA loop because it keeps you constantly in that evolving or revolving cycle of decision-making. And so observe, orient, decide, act, you see a problem, you observe it, you orient yourself in a protective manner, uh, you decide what you're going to do and then you act. The problem is is people get stuck between that decide and that act right. and then they end up not making a decision which ends up causing them harm. And so it's constantly being in that state of observe, orient, decide, act. Observe, orient, decide, act. And usually that's going to keep you alive. And so like I said, you know, I'm not trying to scare right. anyone. I'm not trying to create a, an atmosphere of panic or, or mania, it's just that heightened sense of awareness that we must walk around
0: society. When they, when, yeah. they, when they act, what do, what do they do? I mean, now I've seen posters that say, what, uh, run, what is it? Run, hide, run, Run, hide, fight. Run, hide, fight. And is that the action that they take? I mean, when you it say might
1: act, be. It could be. If you've got a pistol, uh, if you're an armed licensed to carry holder, maybe you take that shot. Maybe you don't take that shot. Maybe it makes more sense, uh, sense for you to to um, pull yourself out of that situation and run. Maybe that person or that situation is right on top of you. And you don't have a weapon and you all you have is your hands. What I'm saying is, is do not do nothing. Do not do makes nothing. Yeah. Do, you something. Do, something. Gotta do something. You've got to do something. Um, when I go into schools, people always talk about. Well, you know, the protocol says that we have to go in our room and we have to lock down and, and follow the protocols. And I always say, if you have an exit door, get the at hell out of the disposal, there. <laughs> get out of there, move. And they look at me like, you know, they've looked at me like I've had three heads. Well, that's what. Well, we're we're not going. You know, we're not following protocol. And I was telling, hell with that protocol. Why would you stay in a situation that could cause you serious bottle injury or death. or death when you have the means to escape? Get the hell out of there. And guess what? Take as many kids with you as possible. We'll sort out the bullshit later.
0: It, it, you know? it, you're right. I mean, it was, it was one of the shootings. I forget which one, but there was a, a nightclub shooting. And people inside the nightclub were Sending text messages and post it on Facebook. Call nine one one. Pulse. Uh, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, wow. If you have a phone in your hand, call them to yourselves. I mean, to, to to send out a message to. Oh, please send me help through social media. Just totally blew my mind. I mean, but that's the society in we which
1: God. we live in. Jr. It's, is it's it, it social media <sighs> has severely skewed our judgment. Well, it, it absolutely has. And it we we as a society are not going back to where we once were. This is a problem that is going to continue to happen. It is up to us to adapt to it and overcome it. And this is how we do it is mm. through the human behavior patterns of these individuals, having better institutions and having better processes to treat them. That's the key.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. I think you're right there. And we're obviously not going to solve this whole situation on this podcast. Mike, I want to thank you for being here. And my, I, before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to any closing thoughts. But just in the back of my mind, as I'm recording this thing, we're recording. This is this is pre-recorded. It's going to be edited and it's going to air. I just pray to God that we don't have an, another mass shooting between this recording and the time it airs. But there's probably a good chance there may be. I mean,
1: that's, that's what it's come to. It's a very good chance that that may happen, you know, and we have to, as a society, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to stop thinking that law enforcement is going to save us. We have to stop putting the pressure on law enforcement to both be proactive and reactive in the same we as a society, I always talk about this this ratio of 75% proactiveness, 25% reactiveness. We have to be that 75% proactiveness so that that 25% of the time that we may have to have law enforcement respond, they are focusing 75% on t- of the time on how to respond and getting that down to a science. And so, you know, my closing thoughts would be this, is that We live in a society that has drastically changed from when I was a child. I'm 45 years old as of next week or this weekend. We're never going back to where we were. Uh, We live in a more violent society than we've ever lived in. Churches, schools, places of sanctuary that used to be off limits are no longer off limits.
0: They used to be safe.
1: They are now becoming targets because they are safe and because people don't think they're going to happen there. I don't care where you're at in society. You could be at the grocery store. We saw that attack in Buffalo. You can be at a sporting event. You can be at your child's school. You must be situationally aware. You must prepare your brain to be able to observe Orient, decide and act on what you're going to do to preserve your life and the lives of others. preparing our staff, whether it be in a corporation, in corporate environment or whether it be at a school, the person who's going to save you is either yourself or the person in the cubicle or office next to you, or on the aisle at the grocery store next to you. Once we start taking care of each other as a society, we're going to start seeing these things start drastically reducing. It's not going away, but we will see them reducing and we will be able to preserve our own lives. You know, law enforcement in this country has a tremendous amount of stress on them. Let's not put the onus on them solely to save us. Let's be responsible for ourselves. And so, you know, my challenge to any school district out there is, or even corporation, is if you need a team to come into. Your campus, your district, your place of business and give you an unbiased look at what you have and what you should have and then build that out and then train you on it. Call us. We have a team of professionals that have reached the top 1% in their careers. And I assure you, you will be better off with us putting eyes on your, on your problems and finding solutions for you than you were the day before.
0: Michael Matranga, folks, with M6 Global. Mike, thank you very much. And bottom line is if something happens, the worst thing to do is nothing. That's
1: 100% correct. Yes, Here's sir. Or something.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. My name is J.R. Gonzalez. I've been your host. And um, today we have had Michael Matranga with M6 Global. Mike, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. If you like what you've heard, like us, make comments follow us. We are always interested in your feedback. Thank you very much. And we'll be back next time. Thank you.